Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us. It's good to have the opportunity to present our results for the half year to September, the end of September 2022. I will give an overview, first of all, and then it'll be followed by Eamon presenting the financial aspects of our performance. Then uh, a few video, a few slides from Martin Stevens, our group uh, manufacturing director, and then a presentation of our uh, sales and marketing from Pippa Clark, our group sales and marketing director. This has been a very tough half year. It's all about steadying the ship, which was rocked fairly dramatically earlier from probably November 21 until the end of August 22. Result is we made a net operating profit of 280,000, probably about 10% of what it should have been. And it reflects the intensity and suddenness of that economic headwind. A quick and decisive response was developed and put in place. So that resulted in operating losses for the first four months. But by the end of July, we had moved to break even. And from August onwards, we are generating a profit. And from November onwards, we're generating cash. The action plan broad brush was to negotiate price increases of 6 million from January onwards with our customers, big retailers, brand owners, and of course, on our private label customers. We put in a plan to reduce our overhead by 2 million from the previous year. That included mitigating energy and transport costs, which were rising well above the previous year. And finally, to reverse the negative cash flow by the end of November. And by the end of March 23, reduce short-term debtor finance to nil, where it had been previously. So the action plan was in a number of sections. And the first and most important part of that was measuring, indexing, and passing on to our customers, consumers, and retailers, 4 million of cost increases on a regular basis. The objective was to maintain historic gross margin. The 4 million increased cost was spread across materials, components, energy, transport costs, and it occurred between November 21 and July 22. Margin loading increased this figure to 6 million. So we had to maintain our margin. So if we have 4 million in cost, we have to pass on 6 million in price increases. And in the current month, we have achieved 5 million of that 6 million. We're not quite there yet, but we're well on our way. This was a significant challenge managed well by Pippa and her team. She will provide more detail on this and give you an insight on how to manage customers when you're cutting them off, but trying to keep them, cutting them off because they won't pay the price, but you're trying to keep them. And it's it's an exercise in empathy as well as and everything else. 
Second main thread was to reduce the spiraling fixed and variable costs by 2 million, less than the previous year. That's the important point. So it's overall, it's more than 2 million. The major feature of this was to reduce to a single shift by the end of August, which we've done very successfully and probably achieved a reduction of 600,000 by doing that. Martin will speak a little bit about that on his manufacturing presentation. And we delivered significant reductions in overhead and personnel and energy costs. And thus, this was again achieved by Martin and his team, as well as Eamon. The third strand was increased efficiency and capacity in each factory so as to maximize the benefit of single shift working. The outcome has actually surpassed the original plan and we reduced our costs by 150,000 against the previous year. The fourth strand, we set out to relocate our customer facing side of the business, the warehousing, the picking, the packing, and the logistics back to the Peterborough site. We had farmed that off to an outside contractor, probably at the cost of 800,000 a year or so. Eamon took this on board and he's made great progress. We're probably uh, 60% there in reducing the, the cost by 250,000 and reinstating the uh, picking and packing in our own site at Peterborough. We also restructured delivery to customers. For example, we no longer pick and pack in cases. We have converted everything to pallet sizes, which increases the efficiency dramatically. Just an insight into lots of little things that we did to achieve that 250,000. The fifth strand is to reduce our stock levels. We're targeting 2 million reduction on the previous year. And we hope to do that by the end of March, 2023. Eamon and Pippa will deliver in a little more detail, putting the mechanics and rules in place. But the stock has already reduced by 1.2 million from the end of July, 22. The basic mechanic here is to control everything to four week blocks not to buy anything more than four weeks, regardless of uh, price negotiations, not to produce anything more than four weeks, and to hold no more than four weeks in stock for our private label customers. It's quite a difficult task. We always cushion ourselves with eight weeks or nine weeks stock, but the challenges of the current economic climate don't compromise, so we are sticking to that policy. There's a lot of fallout with it, but we're managing that and haven't lost any standing or efficiency or quality of service with our customers. We're probably 50% through with that project. We are protecting the margin and managing the fallout with our suppliers and customers. In the case of branded, where we can make the choices ourselves if we want to keep to four weeks and there isn't enough turnover in that product, then we have dropped the lines. Probably Pivot will go into more detail on that, but we've dropped about 50 lines so far. The sixth strand is to just reduce capital expenditure, cancel unless there's a payback of less than nine months. Solar energy may be an exception, but with the government subsidy at the minute, it's proven very beneficial to us. And as far as uh, the manufacturing is concerned, most of the equipment has been upgraded in the last two years and is providing increases in efficiency, which Martin will go into and helped us enormously in moving to a single shift. So that's a little 
brief overview of how we steadied the ship and are steadying the ship and getting ready to uh, get back to our 7% bottom line as distinct from a 0.9% bottom line. It will take time. It won't be fully achieved by the end of 2023, but 23, 24, unless something exceptional happens, we have the structure to implement that strategy. So hand it over to Eamon for the finance. Good morning, everybody. Um, so I'd like to just take you through some of the financial and operational highlights of the results that we announced uh, earlier this morning uh, for the first half of the year. So in terms of financial highlights, obviously sales for the first half of the year were 30 million, basically in line with last year, including the benefit of 2.6 million from the recent acquisitions. And people take you through those in more detail during her presentation. The gross margin, as Bernard alluded to earlier, is really all about price recovery. You can see there we averaged 40.4% compared to 40.7%, really reflecting the ongoing struggle to pass on the significant direct cost increases that we experienced. We've made very good progress to that in recent months, and we anticipate that those selling price improvements that we have achieved will deliver higher margins as we go forward. The direct annualized cost increase approximated to 4 million, and we have secured price increases from our customers in the range of 5 to 15%. Other overheads, mainly energy, increased dramatically, as we've seen, this won't be a theme unique to us. And in the case of energy, for instance, we would have seen an annualized increase of 0.7 million. So energy was a relatively modest cost in our business, and you know we've seen increases of annualized of up to 0.7, so it became quite a material cost in our business, and we had to attend to it urgently, which we did. And that was part of a strategy to drive down the overhead program by 2 million and reducing the break-even point and improving our net profit as we go forward. So the operating profit before exceptionals was 280.28 million uh, compared to 2.59 in the previous year. And as Bernard alluded to, we had operating losses in the first four months have been converted now into profit in the more recent months. And we look forward to delivering a significantly stronger performance in the second half as a testament to the success of the remedial actions that we've already taken. Diluted EPS in the period 0.48 negative uh, compared to 2.61 in the previous period. Some further financial highlights, obviously talking about cash, which is a really important driver. Net short-term borrowings at the end of September were 4.7 compared to 2.9 at the equivalent period last year. This included the final payment for the MRD of 1.4 million in respect of the SPA obligations and a share buyback as part of that transaction of 0.6. That's 2 million outflow in total there. I'll talk about cash a little bit later. Negative outflow in the earlier months, again, has been reduced to a positive cash flow in November, and we'd expect to be in a cash a positive generating positions as we go forward with the objective of having nil short-term borrowings in terms of our invoice financing and overdraft facility by the time we get to the year end. So, And the positive cash flow has been enabled by the realignment of the buying and stockholding policy together with the cost reduction measures. Uh, the integration of the acquisitions, despite their long-term importance of the group, were put on hold for several months while we attended to, in principle, dealing with the cost, the cost and inflation recovery measures that we've spoken about. Uh, the turnover, as you can see from Brody and Stone, 1.2 million, and MRD 1.4 is reflected in these accounts.
So the operational highlights, obviously, as we've said, the key priority has been to re-establish the profitability and embed a structure to protect against losses on a month-to-month basis. So we set ourselves an objective to pass on approximately 6 million of annualized selling price increases and reduce overheads by 2 million. Manufacturing has reduced to a single shift at both sites, excluding the soap production at Tiverton. And that was really facilitated by previous year's investment in plant and machinery basically coming into fruition. So what we have now are basically faster, uh, more flexible uh, lines in both sites to allow us effectively to carry out the same level of production uh, in less time and less hours. We have incurred redundancy costs by moving from the second shift uh, and they're recorded in these accounts as exceptional items of 150K. So the one shift policy has obviously reduced energy costs significantly. And Martin is going to talk about those in his presentation. We have an ongoing and active energy management and monitoring program, which also plays into our TCFD obligations and reporting, which we talk about every year in our full year accounts. Just the warehousing and logistics, we're bringing back in-house. We expect to deliver savings of 300K there. And the stock production, which we've talked about, we expect to deliver 2 million year-on-year stock reduction, and we've already achieved 1.2 million of that. This is the turnover, just really the highlights. You can see the chart, the bar on the right, and basically turnover for the first six months is in line with last year and has benefits from the acquisition sales of 2.6 billion. That's the green box on the chart. And really just to make the point uh, that hygiene sales, which were a once-off benefit, uh, are no longer a feature of the business. You can see we had 11.5 million there uh, in 2021 of hygiene sales, they are no longer a feature. So the operating profit then, this is a summary of the five-year operating profit, obviously reducing down to 0.28 compared to 2.6 in the previous six months. The main driver there has been the margin squeeze, which we've spoken about, and the lag. And we have distribution costs have increased to 1.95 million, reflecting some higher costs there. And the administration costs have increased to 9.76. That reflects the additional costs of, of the Emma Hardy business. They're included in there. And also in this analysis includes the energy costs of an additional 500K. They're reflected in those increases as well. Earnings per share. Uh, this is half one, half two. So the purple is half one and the white is half two for the last number of years. And you can see, obviously, with a negative earnings after exceptionals, you can see we have a negative earnings per share in the period. The number of shares, obviously, just to make a couple of points on the earnings per share, number of shares has increased last year by virtue of the acquisitions. But we did uh, repurchase 1.6 million of those shares just at the end of this period. Uh, and they're now held as treasury shares and won't be included in EPS calculation going forward from this point. So the cash flow, interesting on the cash flow, the operating profits, I'd refer just to call out a couple of points here on the cash flow. So the net cash generated from operating activities of 1.1 million, that's an improvement effectively of 3 million on the equivalent period last year. And what we're seeing there really is, is the benefit of close working capital management, Whereas last year we had a significant outflow in working capital. This year our working capital is actually slightly positive. So where we have seen increase in inventory, small increase of inventories and debtors offset by increase in creditors. And this cash flow in the period reflects a 2 million outflow in total in respect to the finalization of the Emma Hardy transaction, which is broadly equivalent to the increase in the borrowings that we saw in the period. 
So we have financed most of the operating business from cash generated and working capital attention. The stock levels we've seen are, are increased slightly. Debtors have increased by 8 million. Stock turn uh, has down compared to the previous years, but obviously we're taking some significant remedial action in stock turn. Hopefully we'll see the benefit of that in the months to come. And the trade debtors day is down from 57 to 55. Okay, I'll hand over to Martin to talk about manufacturing. Good morning, everyone. I've been in my current role since uh, the end of March, and I'd like to just go through some of our manufacturing highlights and changes. So one of the first things I did was focus on the relationship that we had between our planning and production teams and ensuring that we were optimizing our lines and that the right products were going down the right lines. Our improved efficiencies and line utilizations have allowed us to move to a one shift operation on both sites. We have invested in new filling technology that's increased our flexibility and it's increased our output from 17 units per minute to 50 units per minute. Another investment has been in training, particularly in our our engineering uh, area, where we've done a lot of ongoing training, fetching in our original uh, equipment manufacturers to uh, work with our our setters and engineers to speed changeovers and improve our efficiencies in those areas. Overall, since April, we've seen an increase in our positive labour variance, running from 121% in April to 135 at the end of October. This is compared to our costed standard of 100%. We've also made changes in our mixing area, which is also on a one-shift basis now. So our batches per man per day has increased from 052 in October, which is effectively about 150% increase in output from that department. We obviously talked about already the change to a single shift on both sites. In direct labour, we've reduced uh, by 66. Indirect labour, we've reduced by 22. 47 were by redundancy. The remainder were by natural wastage. Obviously, cutting the shift has given us some energy bonuses here. Generally, we, are, we were tracking uh, below last year's energy usage on electric. We did have an increase in the July-August period where we were in a position where we had um, some erratic deliveries from suppliers and we had to deal with that by um, increasing our uh, temporary labour for a short period of time and increased our energy usage on electric. Uh, from September, we've seen a big drop in our electrical usage, and we've dropped to about 17.5% compared to where we were in uh, in April. In gas, as we're only running our boilers on a single shift basis, we are now, in comparison to the start of this year, we're uh, 22% down on gas usage. This has all contributed to some of the savings that we have needed to make. Uh, so I talk about our production capabilities here. So on bottles, we have three semi-automatic lines. One is a high-speed line that will run at 100 a minute. Uh, across those lines, we're around 25% free capacity on one shift. 
tubes we have for semi-automatic lines. One is a high-speed line that will run at plus 100 a minute. Uh, we're around 10% free capacity on those. Bottles and jars, here we've now got six semi-automatic flexible lines. And these are the new um, fill-in technology lines that we talked about. Uh, the lines are called linear flow fillers, and uh, they have electronic uh, controls of the pistons, which has, allows us very accurate and very um, controlled fill. These will deal with water-thin products to thick creams and pastes, and have been part of the improvement in the efficiencies that we've uh, gained over the last six months. We still make powders and salts uh, with two semi-automatic lines. We're 10% free capacity there. Alcohol made at Devon. We have one semi-automatic line with 40% free capacity. Soap. We do run soap still over a two-shift basis. Our soap line is pretty full up with no capacity at the moment. We are looking at investing in the soap line and we will be uh, really investing 100,000 in that line over the next six months to increase capacity to free up more work for the line. Gifting, we have five assembly lines with 50% free capacity. And at Devon, we also do room fragrance with um, uh, one diffuser line. That's got 50% free capacity. Our strategy to move to one shift has been successful with a 23.5% reduction in direct labor, 9% reduction in indirect labor. Energy usage reduced, showing a 17.2% reduction in electric and 22.35% reduction in gas usage as a result of moving to a single shift in September. Energy usage per unit produced has reduced from 0 0.024 to 0 0.0 two per unit of electricity. That's again around about a 17% reduction per unit. And our targets moving forward, we've got to 135%. Our target is to get to 150% efficiency by the end of the financial year, freeing up more line capacity on, on a single shift. And that's me finished over to Pippa. Uh, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Martin. A breakdown of the sales that Eamon has already outlined and in the report this morning by division. Private label delivering 11.2 million, contract 7.7, our core branded business 8.1 million, and the two brand acquisitions from Brody and Stone and Emma Hardy 2.6 million. Some points to make here is private label in the year to September 21 benefited from an almost four million pound order from a single retailer that was doing a big online program um, for Christmas of 2021 that gave us a nice boost in the first half of last year that was not repeated this year. That unfortunately did not deliver for that core customer of ours, which means they've been selling through that stock during the course of 22. Um, they have pretty much done that now. So therefore, we see that coming back in terms of business into the 23-24 financial year with that core customer. Contract has suffered in the first half by a couple of premium retailers pulling back on their forecast due to being overstocked during the period. So has delivered a number at 7.7 .7 million versus 8.1. Our core branded business has held its own with some slight growth. And I'll give a bit more context to that as we go through. And then we've delivered 2.6 million on the two acquisitions. 
The point to note, I think, to give some insight to the second half of this year is that broadly we will deliver sales at a similar level to the first half of the year with some key points to note that will come predominantly from growth in branded um, contract will take quite a significant um, hit in the second half for reasons that I will explain um, in a few minutes with three core branded customers that we can no longer get credit on in the business. So therefore their order banks are not looking as healthy as we would anticipate them to be. And private label because of some delays in CPIs, which has resulted in us empathetically ceasing supply with a number of retailers is going to impact slightly on private label in the second half, but branded continues to perform well. So therefore broadly sales in the second half will be in line with what we've done in the first half. As both Eamon and Bernard have highlighted, and I wanted to go into some more detail as the actual challenge that we've had over the past 11 to 12 months now, inflation running at 11.8% over the period meant that we needed to recover 6 million from our customers on margins. I'll show a slide on the next page to see how big that challenge has been. 5.3% was achieved to the end of September 22, and we anticipate getting to about 10.2% by the end of March 2023. The big impact has been a lag from customers accepting price increases. Their average period of notification of a price increase is three months. That has extended to four and five months with some core retailers where negotiations have been very challenging. That has resulted us in a number of cases in both branded and private labels suspending supplies where they would not agree to price increases. In all cases, they have all come back to the table, but it has resulted in some cases of up to six to eight weeks of not supplying some core lines, which means sales have been lost in that period. And some has been lost in the second half as well due to those ongoing negotiations. In branded, we have had some discontinued lines where cost prices were not accepted by retailers. So whilst we are more in control of what we can do in terms of cost engineering on our products in branded, it is much easier for a retailer to say, well, I'm discontinuing that line, I'll take something else in. And that has happened in a number of cases and we have lost those lines. As alluded to in the first slide, we've had three major branded customers in the contract division, um, some of which probably are known to many because it's been in the press in terms of some of the difficulties that some brands have been having um, with regard to their performance. That is about £5 million worth of business in our contract division that um, has effectively been stalled due to these customers not getting credit status. We have also experienced in the branded area launch windows with retailers delayed or cancelled. So where major retailers in the UK, particularly the grocers and the high street, have been battling cost price increases across the board from every single supplier, they have delayed bringing in new lines. So the opportunities to launch with new retailers and get new lines into existing retailers has been really challenging because they just have not, they've delayed the launch windows because they themselves have been focusing on managing um, cost price inflation. Coupled with that is the ongoing supply chain challenges. Lead times have eased. The peak that we experienced in the first two quarters of the calendar year have definitely eased but they're not yet back to where they were with pre-pandemic performance levels. We have had ongoing China interruptions with the regional lockdowns due to COVID. We are also restructuring our stockholding internally, which both Eamon and Bernard have alluded to. And we have also moved to a pallet pick operation. We have flexed on pallet sizes in order to do that. So to save on the labor of picking and packing, 
cases and layers, we have completely re, um, if you like, structured our palette sizes. So we no longer have a standard palette size. So we have moved to one, two or three layer palettes based on the offtake of that line, which means we can move to a palette pick operation only, which has been something we've been challenged with and delivered on over the past six to eight months. To demonstrate how big the challenge has been from the beginning of the financial year, I've demonstrated here where our selling prices have increased and where the cost of goods inflation has impacted. And you can see the first few months of the year were incredibly challenging with achieving only 3.2% initially on sales price increases versus an inflation that was coming at us at 13.4%. The big reason for that was we put price increases through to the market from November of 21 and in many, many cases could not get them accepted by retailers until April um, for all the reasons that I explained earlier. Um, so we were ceasing supply on some, continuing to negotiate with others. Um, but you can see that that trend has improved quite significantly as we go into August and September. And our forecast for that moving forward into the last quarter of the year is very positive in terms of how the, the price increases that we've managed to get through to um, our customer base is, is impacted. So hopefully that demonstrates the kind of the size of the challenge that we were presented with and what we've been doing to deliver on that. So despite all of those challenges, which have been significant, there are some really nice highlights on the branded area of our business that I wanted to quickly run through. We have increased our distribution in the UK market of the Balance Active brand by a thousand stores. Feather and Down now has the number one pillow spray in the UK market in both volume and value. Emma Hardy has produced a fantastic figure with its number one key customer in the UK market of 17% year on year up versus a category in that customer that is 8% down. And T-Zone, with some latest data that we've pulled through just very recently, despite the growth being stalled on that brand over the past six months, it is the number two brand in the UK clear skin category. So it is doing very well in terms of the volumes that it's delivering in the UK market. Wanted to kind of highlight that sales levels have been maintained despite suspending supply to customers in cost negotiations, which has happened predominantly in private label, but we've also had some of that activity needing to happen in the branded division. We have discontinued low volume and low margin products. Um, that is about 75 lines that we have discontinued in the branded category that are not delivering on volume because of the cost inflation that we've received or not delivering on the volumes that we would want to produce. I've already highlighted the launch windows have been delayed and we've had credit status um, removed from some key contract customers, which has impacted. With regard to Emma Hardy, the priorities in the business were to focus on everything that Bernard and Eamon has been highlighted with the economic headwinds that were coming at us. We needed to get our priorities right. And that was to focus on our core business, on our profitability, on cash and ensuring that we moved forward with price increases with customers. This means that we had to make some decisions in terms of where we were focusing our efforts and resources, which means we have paused growth with the Emma Hardy brand over the past six months. It was also impacted on online and digital sales, not stacking up post-COVID, which has impacted on a lot of the big pure play and beauty players, of which Emma Hardy is a part. And whilst Emma Hardy has still stacked up reasonably well on those players, because they're not performing, you'll find that premium brands and a lot of those players are not performing as well as they did. We also had an impact with European distribution 
impacting on sales for Emma Hardy during the period. Lots of premium listings in the European market with small customers at the premium level that really got tripped up with regard to shipping product into the European Union following our exit in Brexit. We are dealing with those on a case-by-case basis, but it has had an impact on sales. So we've been focusing on our core branded consumer base. All of our core listings are performing well. And as highlighted, the number one listing that we have is 17% up year-on-year in retail sales. The brand has made a very margin positive contribution to the group. We have now completed manufacturing of transitioning all of Emma Hardy in-house. That has been a very well managed and conservative process on our part in that the formulations are very challenging and we wanted to make sure that we were confident we could produce them as well as, if not better than what's been produced on the market to date. That has now been completed very successfully and is all happening in our Devon location. And during the period, we've also launched a new um, range of products, some new MPD for Emma Hardy that's going very well and received very well in the market in the Lotus range. So that's where we've been with Emma Hardy. So what are we doing with Emma Hardy moving forward? We've invested in a new sales director, Naomi Georgeson. She joined the business six weeks ago, comes from a premium background. She also comes from a background of knowing the USA market very well. She's an excellent addition to the team, and she is now going to lead our sales growth over the next six to 12 months in the Emma Hardy brand. We've been spending our time also with, like I said, those core UK retailers, making sure that we're securing those listings and we've got actual growth plans and partnerships in place. We've also been reducing operational costs in the brand and investing that in marketing and brand awareness. Our core moving forward is to drive sales in the USA, German and Chinese markets. We've spent the past six months developing five platforms in the Chinese market, which have now started trading. So hopefully we'll be able to report on the progress on that um, at the end of the, the next six months. We are also spending quite a lot of time ensuring that we're best in class on our digital brand presentation for Emma Hardy. That includes what we're doing in the USA market. We're confident with this brand. It's a great brand. I think we continue to be delighted with the consumer reaction to the brand. The brand loyalty is phenomenal in terms of the five-star reviews that the products get. And wherever we talk to the trade or wherever we talk to consumers, the brand is very, very well received and very well loved. So we're very, very confident about the future of Emma Hardy. We are very pleased to have Naomi on board. I think that definitely allows us to focus over the next six months on um, growth and where we're going to drive the brand forward. I also wanted to give you an insight as to the top six brands in our business and what they're delivering currently. They represent 70% of our total brand sales and in the main are performing well and are growing. You can see from the figures that I've given you here that our coverage in terms of the number of doors in the UK market is significant and increasing. Good example of that is both the Crichton's brands, which have increased by another thousand doors in the past six months, as has Balance Active. Feather and Down has increased by 600 doors over the past six months in the UK market alone. So very, very positive in terms of the coverage that we've got with these brands. And you'll also see that a number of them are also performing incredibly well in export markets. Our Crichton's brands, the Balance Active brand and the Curl Company brand doing incredibly well in terms of the share of their sales performing in um, export markets, which we will continue to focus on. And then some highlights again, Balance Active, fourth largest serum brand in the UK for 2021 sales numbers. Feather and Down now has the number one pillow spray in the UK market in both value and volume sales in the past 12 month sales in the UK market. And as I highlighted earlier, T-Zone 
is the number two brand in the clear skin category. So whilst T-Zone, like I said, has not grown as we would have anticipated in the past six months, we have been dealing with supply challenges that have taken longer to resolve than I anticipated. We've obviously had the cost inflation that we've been battling there. But in addition to that, there was a lot of MPD listed with the number one customer just before we bought the brand that unfortunately has not performed. So we've had to spend the last six months repositioning that MPD, discontinuing it and bringing out and refocusing what we do there. Confident that the position of that is now correct. We have had a new listing. We've added 600 doors on T-Zone in the UK in just the past month, which is very, very positive. And we now have an excellent business plan with the number one customer that will drive growth on that over the next 12 months. So tactically, how do we develop growth over the next six to 12 months in our business? With regard to private label, we've got some really positive joint business plans with our top customers. We are also looking at new retailers in private label. We do trade with the majority of them in the UK market, but there are three that we do not. So we have been spending a lot of time with sales plans on how we bring those three retailers into the fold. We already have scored one of them and we will launch in 2023 with some new launches there. Increasing door count in the UK market is still a big focus for us. We have 80% coverage in the value sector, 35% coverage in grocery and 40% on the high street. So as you can see, particularly with grocery and high street, we still have a long way to go and lots to go at in terms of adding more doors. We have in the past six months launched into the convenience channel with our brands. We are now in two spa franchises in Northern Ireland and the North, and we're about to launch into the Scottish spa franchise in January 23. Orders just came through for that this week. Um, We are in 400 doors in those three franchises. We have the potential for another 900. We are also going after the other three franchises in SPA um, over the coming months. That's a goal of ours. We have also opened um, 1,300 doors with two key retailers in in pharmacy chains. There's about 10,000 doors that we can go after with pharmacy. Our goal would probably be to get about 50% of that over the next six to 12 months. Um, I've already highlighted Emma Hardy. USA is a big target for us where we'll be launching in premium beauty online initially and also extending into marketplaces into both the USA, Chinese and German markets. That will then lead us into bricks and mortar on Emma Hardy in those markets as well, which will come as a second phase of our development with the brand. International markets for all brands remains a central sales pillar for us. International is doing very well and we're working on Middle East, South America and Europe, particularly across the board. With regard to contract manufacturing, that has probably been the most challenged category over the past six to 12 months because of the instability of the brand owners. It's prompted a new focus for us in terms of both resource and strategy in terms of how we are moving forward with regard to identifying the right sales opportunities with the right partners that are sound moving forward for good manufacturing partnerships. So we underpin all of that tactical sales strategy in terms of where we want to go with regard to cost and margin control. This has obviously been at the forefront of everything that we've been doing for the past six to nine months. We now have a systematic method inside this business for cost monitoring. We monitor every single month. We have also invested in live software, which gives us commodity monitoring prices on a daily, hourly basis, which has also been very useful for that piece with managing with customers on selling price management. We're doing a lot of product cost engineering in our branded division where we're in control. That is bringing some considerable savings through that piece. Delivering consumer value remains a priority for us. We want best product performance at all levels and we want to be in best in class 
for a tough consumer economy. So whether that be with the discounters, whether that be with grocery, whether that would be our premium listings. International market focus, as I've highlighted, remains core. And we are also focusing on extending our global marketplace investment. We do very well in the UK market with Amazon. Um, we are now extending that to the premium listings for Emma Hardy in both the German and USA markets. Um, the initial looks of what we're doing there is doing very well, but we're going to invest more in that over the coming six to 12 months. So in conclusion, stabilizing the business has been our number one priority. And when all of that has been cost and margin control and managing our cost prices with our customers moving forward. Define sales strategies in each area of our business. We are consumer insight led with everything that we do. We want to continue delivering high quality products because it underpins the success that we have with the products that we put on the market and particularly with our branded division and keep focusing on that exceptional service delivery to our customers in the market. I'm now gonna hand over to Bernard who is going to do a conclusion. Thank you, Pippa. Great presentation. Certainly a great achievement in getting five million uh, pounds worth of price increases across retailers, uh, across the brands, and across the contract manufacturing. Really was a great achievement. I, I want to emphasize that for this, the benefit of the shareholders. The way ahead for us, ladies and gentlemen, is to use our cash generated to grow the brands in each sector. Navigate Emma Hardy, Feather and Don, and Curl Company towards a significant global presence. Very important. We are very strong on these brands. We want to improve that strength. Take the opportunity to build on our high street presence. Pippa just outlined how we've achieved another 300 stores in the convenience category. This is the category that's growing. People use it more and more frequently. And we want to be there and be visible in that category. Our overhead control and reduction of costs without damaging the quality of service has been very successful so far, like Pippa's achievement in getting price increases. In all of that, she hasn't lost a single customer. Any customers we've lost, we've lost them due to their inability to have insurance or because they have gone out of business. And we're the same with overhead control. We've changed lots of things and reduced costs, but haven't reduced the quality of service. We maximize our manufacturing efficiency. I think Martin has given you a flavor of that. I hope he has. And we continue to upgrade and automate. But if the capital expenditure is significant and doesn't yield a return within nine months, then we won't do it. We're conserving cash and borrowings. We hope to be and intend to be nil short-term borrowing by the 31st of March. We're targeting an overall net operating profit in 22-23 of 2%, well below our historic average. But we are confident that unless we get hit by a tsunami of the same nature as we had in November 21, that we should be in the 7% mark by 23-24. So that's where I'll leave it with you guys and take some questions. Thank you very much. First one, well done on progress with SPA. And then the questioner goes on to ask, could you explain your four-week buying policy a little further? Clearly, this has always been an option, so there must be disadvantages. Is this a long-term switch or just while cash is tight? Well, that's the last part of the question first. I, I think we have proved it, it, it to be successful, so we would want to keep it as a long-term policy. 
it, it's it's something which involved risk and and tight management and concentration. Uh, it hasn't it hasn't been completed a long way off completion, but we are seeing the results uh, uh, quite spectacular results in the reduction of stock. Um, the, the, the it's it is comprehensive. It involves uh, we don't buy any more than four weeks at a time. We don't manufacture any more than four weeks at a time. Um, it requires us to take our eye off other things to focus on it. Uh, we're we're a very thin team here, but it's well worth doing, and I think we intend uh, to continue with it. And so far, it hasn't damaged our ability to service the customer. And is there a stock obsolescence risk in the 50 or so branded lines that have been dropped? Has this been fully provided for? Well, any any risk of obsolescence or, or, or not selling, we have provided for. In, in discontinuing lines, we, we would discontinue, but make sure that we sell off what we have. Or in the case of where we're dealing with one of our uh, private label customers, that we would have an agreement with them to uh, sell off the, the the balance of stock and components. Shouldn't be a risk. Can you give an approximate breakdown of inventories between raw materials and finished goods? How do these currently line up to the four-week target? Uh, I would pass that one to Eamon. It's about, I mean, roughly roughly speaking, finished goods, it's, it's about 50-50, give or, give or take, uh, is, the split of the, is, is the split of the inventories. We're not at the, we're not at the four weeks uh, uh, in either of those categories yet, but the, but the, but the plan is, um, as, as Bernard explained, is, is to move towards that uh, four weeks. So, you know, we, we have uh, significantly changed um, some things for for example in our planning we've invested we've we've invested in a, a new planning system which has given us even greater visibility we have the flexibility in manufacturing to make a number of products on a number of lines so we, we have much more flexibility in there so and we have in many cases adjusted and reduced the batch sizes that we make so instead of making you know, a couple of months product, which we would have sometimes done in the past, uh, we have reduced that. So, so I would say we're well on the, we're well on the way towards that four weeks, but we're not there at the moment. And slightly lower sales values and higher sales prices and acquisitions implies that sales volumes are down around twenty percent or so. When can we expect sales volume to recover to previous levels or return to growth? Good question. Uh... I, I, I'll hand that over to Pippa in a second, but a lot of our uh, uh, reduction is in the contract manufacturing side where we are dependent on the abilities of the brands that we manufacture for to be profitable and to have a, a good record. So if the insurance companies won't, the credit insurance companies won't insure them, we stop manufacturing. Uh, and don't take the don't take on board any risk ourselves. So that has been a major issue for us. Uh, as you can see, the branded is doing quite well in terms of previous year, and uh, we, we we have great plans and hopes for that. And private label, I don't see any reason why we wouldn't increase. We have had a battle in the high street. Um, we have cut people off, as Pippa said, empathetically. She hasn't lost a single customer, but. Um, 
the, these big companies don't take price increases of 10% and 12% easily. Uh, they, they, they push you to the brink, but uh, we've been to the brink and back and haven't lost them. So I'll hand over to Pippa. I suppose just to add to that in terms of seeing those sales growth going back, I mean, a lot depends on our plan. Bernard's highlighted the contract manufacturing area is where the biggest dip has been. Um, we will either replace that with business in branded or private label and obviously new customers in contract. Um, so it, returning to those unit volumes will in large part depend on the mix of those customers and replacing that contract business and how quickly we can grow that branded business. Thank you very much. And how's the online sales strategy progressing? I remember last year you'd hired a specialist marketing person to increase online sales. Well, he didn't. Uh, so uh, he, he's gone. Um, but we are increasing online sales through Amazon vendor. Uh, probably uh, up to eight or nine thousand pounds a day on on. Uh, sales on vendor. Uh, so the market that the whole uh, internet and web business is shifting to marketplaces, which are quite difficult to manage and not always, uh, don't always do what they say on the tin. So we found that uh, Amazon vendor is a very reliable and, and efficient and profitable way to sell. And we're, we're We've actually chosen to go that way whilst we focus on the other more difficult sides of the business. But uh, it's a good question. Uh, it didn't work for us. Uh, so we're, we're uh, re-strategizing on that one. But we are having quite a bit of success on Amazon, which reflects the, the, the quality of our products, our branded products. Have credit insurance costs increased or has the criteria on order acceptance changed? No, in, in our case, I could, sorry, Bernard, I'll, I'll answer that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, so, so cert certainly not in our case. And, and um, you know, we, we, we will be able to renew our credit policy uh, for the forthcoming year at probably at a, at a slightly cheaper rate than the previous year, actually. So uh, we haven't seen we haven't seen any um, any any direct increases there to answer the first question. Um, probably the thing to say about about credit in, in insurance is, and Pip has alluded to it in her presentation, we have seen. I think there's probably a, a greater degree of monitoring within the within the credit insurance companies, and you know there is a lot of um, a lot of monitoring and uh, of, of credit limits. And we do have, as Pippa alluded to, we, we we have had a number of cases where you know a, a number of our customers were refused credits and credit limits were with, were withdrawn. And as we've said here before, that our policy is that we can't trade unless unless we have an agreed credit limit with with customers. So it's it, we're, we're vigilant, we're attentive to it, but it's it's probably it's probably going to be. Um, uh, a great uh, an area for greater focus as, as 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 we move forward into the anticipated recession uh, over the over the over the next um, twelve months. And how is the two hundred and eighty one thousand operating profit split between the losses of the first four months and profit of the last two in the first half? Will debtors' finance be gone by the thirty first of March twenty three? Yeah, so certainly the second question will debtors finance. So yeah, that's what we're alluding to when we when we say um, 
we, we'll have no short-term borrowing by the, by the end of March. That's certainly our target to, to get to zero debtors finance uh, by the end of March. Um, in, ter in, terms of this, in terms of the split of the profits, probably um, most, well, probably, yeah. Um, most, obviously, as Bernard alluded to, we had losses, we had losses in, in the first uh, four months of the period, and they have been replaced with profits for the last two months, I, I think. And has the rationalisation involved the retirement of a lot of capital equipment? Will you have to reinvest significant capex when growth returns? I, I, I'll jump in on this one. I, I don't. Uh, that that was kind of the the reason for showing that chart. I don't see any reason why we wouldn't, if if, if business was really good and we're back to um, to doubling the turnover. We couldn't put on a second shift, but there is quite a lot of capacity in the growing part of the business, the jars, the jar lines uh, and the filling lines and the mixing um, capacity, both at, at our site in Devon and our site at Peterborough. Um, so I don't see any reason to have to invest further in capital equipment. What, what, what I'd love to do is to invest in more robotic and automated equipment, but um, that will have to wait a little while until we build up the cash. The questioner says, excellent presentation as ever in what must have been a hugely challenging six months. I'm pleased with the way we're building our brands. Can you give an indication of the value in our branded products compared with the price paid for Emma Hardy, for example? In terms of in having negotiations with our, our talks with our advisors, uh, we, we, we've been told that on several occasions that um, these Mastige and premium brands are worth twice their turnover. So if other and Don's at 3.7, it's probably worth um, 7 or 8 million. It's very, it, it's a good margin product. It's got, it's got the number one status. So I don't see any reason why that brand wouldn't be at that level. Balance Active, it's a good international brand. It's turnover 4 million. In fact, Pippa has increased the turnover from half a million to four million in three years. I think that's a tremendous brand. It's worth at least uh, at least one times turnover, if not two times turnover. So that's, uh, uh, what's the other brand we have? Any, any comment on that, Pip? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you refer, I'm, I'm sure you get a copy of the presentation. If you refer back to my slide where I'd put the six brands, I'd give you an indication of the kind of current sales values over a rolling 12-month period, which, again, gives you kind of an idea of the, the revenues that we're pulling on those brands at the moment. And to Bernard's point, you know, the market still talks in multiples of sales. Um, all of those brands are profitable. Um, so whether we talk in multiples of profitability or multiple multiples of sales, um, I think they would, yeah, I mean, Feather and Down's a really good example, um, as is Balance Active. Um, Bernard had undercooked that slightly, actually. We're closer to 5.3 million currently on sales for Balance Active, so um, it's actually doing very well. Um, including Crichton's is the, is the what I call our core hair care and our core skincare. Um, still the biggest chunk of what we do, 40% of it is overseas. Um, because that's positioned more in the value and kind of mass grocery area, um, you know, the value, it's what somebody will pay for a brand. Um, but you know, that would pull at least six million, I would have thought, in terms of, of what that would be valued. But if you add all of those up, you can see 
um, the potential values of those are actually significantly more than we're turning over in them at the moment. Hence, we will continue to invest and grow them. It's a, it's a naughty little question, really, but you know, you never, <laughs> you never, you never caught your chickens before the last. Uh, and and the, the, the economic climate always dictates the price. And of course, uh, we would be interested in brands that we could also manufacture, so they're worth more to us in the longer term, where we bring in house manufacturing. Who are your main competitors on contract and private label, and what are they doing in these challenging times? Uh, that's a good question. Um, everybody we compete with in the contract and private label arenas are private companies. Um, they are also more simplistic in that they will focus just on private label or they will focus just on contract manufacturing. Um, so the nature of the businesses are quite different to what we do. Um, there's a there's a quite a big handful of contract manufacturing competitors, quite small to quite sizable. There are fewer in the private label arena. Um, we probably only have about three competitors in private label that are that are UK based. Um, many of them have not succeeded over the years or have chosen just to be contract manufacturers. Um, I don't know if there's more to that question than that. Crichton's IPO'd in 1996. You've seen recessions come and go. Will you use your paper and obvious business skills to acquire other brands and substantially scale up value? Surely recessions are the best time to acquire struggling or bankrupt brands and restructure Crichton's as the brand group to accommodate. That's a good question. Uh, but we, we have been by it. We have, in fact, um, probably suffered a little criticism for buying uh, brands recently, Emma Hardy uh, and uh, his own in Balance Active before that. Um, yeah, we, we had brought up before that. But it, uh, to get to the core of the question, I could uh, I have brands lined up uh, to do, to, to acquire, but you can't acquire when you're in a negative cash flow situation and where your profitability on the bottom line isn't right. So our first job is to get back into positive cash, uh, to get back into real profitability, to have uh, a steady and well-structured company, and we'll get back into the, the acquisition. It's going to be. It's probably going to be six months before we can even think about it. As an extension of the credit terms question, do you trade on pro forma terms with any customers? And have you seen any of the customers that are not credit worthy switch to pro forma? The answer is yes, we do. Yeah. Several customers. Sorry, yeah. you go ahead. No, that was, no, that was it. It's a small number of pro forma customers. It usually is a contradiction because if they haven't got any money, they can't pay in advance. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we, we, we've tried all kinds of things, uh, letters of credit, pro forma, um, you know, but it, it usually when they're in difficulty, it just doesn't work and you're better stayed away. And lots of online vendors have struggled with Amazon increasing fees recently. How successful are you at moving these customers to direct high margin sales after an initial Amazon sale? Um, I'll answer that. Um, 
that's part of our digital strategy. And actually, our Amazon business has not had increased fees. We treat the management of Amazon like we would treat any high street retailer. So therefore, we go into negotiations and we go into the terms that we have with them on the same basis. We run a PL on the on the account, just like we do anybody else, to ensure that we stay profitable. Um, we make good money out of the Amazon business. Um, we manage the product portfolio on there well. We ensure that we manage the promotions and the price positioning well. Amazon have had price increases from us along with every other customer. That was about a two-month lag getting those through with Amazon, um, but we did it. That has also resulted in us putting the retails up on a number of our brands. So you will see that the Feather and Down brand has had its retails moved upwards, um, which I think is a very positive thing for the brand. Uh, we've done that with a number of other brands and key products as well. Um, it's it For us, the investment in the platforms is pulling better dividends for us right now in terms of profitability and margin than running our own .com. The exception to that would be Emma Hardy. Um, we're seeing good growth on the emmahardy.com and we are continuing to invest and will invest more on the emmahardy.com. Just to qualify that, um, I think the question may have been based on the assumption we're using FB at what they call Amazon seller, but we don't use Amazon seller very much and, the, and FBA connected with Amazon seller are increasing the fees and it is not a very profitable way to operate. Um, we're using Amazon vendor where you sell to Amazon and they then do all the marketing, price matching and, and all that kind of thing. And they very much focus on good brands. So they're so keen to um, to do uh, feather and down on vendor, the Amazon uh, people, that they price match to the point where they don't make any money. All they're making is, is any money they, where we spend on PPC, which you would spend anyway, no matter what whether you're on uh, your own platform or their platform or Google. So maybe that's that was the point of the question, but we don't use FBA or Amazon seller very much. And you previously talked about reducing your land footprint from an 11 acre site down to about six acres. What's the status of this plan? And has there been any disclosure over the potential value of this land? The answer is it's on hold. We, you know, our whole focus has been to steady the ship get back into profit and then to accelerate our sales. Um, so that, that's been put on hold. It, there's no need for it. I mean, we don't need the money uh, and the, the price of land, I think, and sites like this is increasing in this area. Not sure. I would need to take advice. We haven't taken advice for probably six months on it. So the answer is it's on hold. And in July 21, you'd mentioned that you'd be exploring manufacturing medicated creams for big pharma companies, as that's a high margin business. Is there any progress on up or update on that? Uh, well, the, the, there's no progress. That's the update. Um, we haven't focused on it recently. <laughs> I keep repeating our challenge was to get what we had back profit to be at a profitable and to generate cash. Uh, it's it's a target in the longer term. But for the next six months, I don't see us focusing all that much on it. But if anything came along, we're well capable of manufacturing. We'd have to upgrade some of the facilities. And again, that would be about spending money. But the, the, the infrastructure is there and the ability is there. We just aren't focusing on it at the moment. 
And with big companies pushing back against price increases, is it possible that they may now go back to sourcing private label products from China and the Far East, as was the case a few years ago? Um, it's it's not a trend or anything that we're seeing. There are some categories of product that we do, like skincare and baby, that those retailers have never got from the Far East. Um, and in fact, there's there are some elements of private label they get from China, but there, there are certain categories that they, they actually never will because of the risk on the product. And I think with the regional lockdowns on China and the difficulties of getting sustainable supply out of that region, and I think that's only probably going to increase over the next six to 12 months, it's not an indication that we've seen in the market at all that anybody has, has said is the case. And has the in-housing of warehousing to Peterborough involved capex, i.e., temporary structure alluded to in the past? We have we have uh, an order for a temporary structure, uh, but we're going to rent it rather than capex it. And what's your annual growth target percentage for return on capital employed and return on equity? We had we we haven't experienced any any return on capital for the past six months. So I so if if you look back traditionally, if you, if we went back a few years, we, we were in return on capital, give or take of twenty percent. That's that's where we'd like to that's where we'd like to like to like to return to if we can restore the level level of um, level of profitability. That's that's the sort of level I think that we we'll be in. And I've seen this works pillow spray being widely advertised in the underground. In general, does this kind of promotion help or harm you when you have a very similar product in the same retailers at a lower price point? I couldn't measure it specifically, but I don't think it harms. Um, I think it just brings more attention to the category um, and brings more attention to well-being products. Um, I, I can't see that it would be harmful necessarily. And have you hedged energy prices for this winter? Well, they're hedged as part of the, they're hedged as part of the government scheme. So energy prices are fixed as part of as part of the government commitment to business. So that will st- that will stay in place until uh, next uh, the end of March, and we'll, we'll see what emerges uh, in the first of April. When the government uh, looks gets its calculator out. And do you expect a similar lag in passing on next year's price increases? Oh, when dealing with the big retailers, yes, they all have policies in that they want 12 week notice before they take a price increase. So, um, as I said, many of them push beyond that to four and five months. And that's when we had to take different steps to try and bring them to the table. Um, But the three month, the three month lag with all the major retailers in the UK is standard. Mm. It's it's probably fair to say just just to move on from that question that is, that that question assumes there's going to be significant levels of price increases. It's it's very hard to predict what's going to happen in in, in the in the in the marketplace. But um, it's it's effectively almost behind that question is what is going to happen to energy prices, and that's a forecast. What's going to happen with the war in in Ukraine? Um, so it's it's very hard to know, but I think it's I think we've alluded to it in our annual report or to, into our interims that we have certainly seen the level of increases abated uh, significantly in recent months. You know, and we look forward, we look forward, we don't see the level of the, the same level of increases we were encountering at, at at the start of the period. But it really more than more than anything else, and um, that is a guess on what's going to happen on energy prices, which is a guess what's going to happen in. The war in in, in Ukraine because because those energy prices as we've seen tend to get everywhere, all get into all manufacturing, uh, businesses, distribution elements of your business. So, 
And given rapid cost inflation, can you explain why reducing supply stocks saves money in the long term? Well, it costs a lot of money to, to house the stock for a start. Uh, <clears throat> it takes a lot of time to manage it. We've found great benefit in the, even the initial stages of reducing stock. If we find that uh, costs are increasing, we have to pass them on. Um, I think it's a false economy to think that you can save money. We, we proved to ourselves now that it is false economy to hoard, uh, to bring in three, four months of stock um, to save money. It usually uh, costs more in the longer term. So if we have cost increases, we'll pass them on and uh, uh, to the customer. Human might have some qualification on that. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the trade-off, the trade-off in these decisions is is, is potentially you, you you might get a slightly cheaper price if you buy more, which I think is the purpose of of, of that question. Or you might avoid it. You might avoid um, a cost increase at a later stage. But the trade-off with that is is basically you're expending cash. Uh, to, to to sit for not for to sit in your balance sheet for you know a number of, a number of months and you know I I I think right now in view of, in in view of all the in view of all the uncertainties I think one of the things that is definitely in our control is to get our stocks down and uh, which will help us get our borrowings down and uh, with a laser sharp focus that we currently have on it so I think that's the path that we're we're on. Even if it means uh, bypassing some potential cost opportunities by by buying more stock, so we're definitely in the camp of get get the stock down, get the cash in. I think that's where that's where very much we're firmly at at the moment. The mindset has changed. We were we did do all those things in the past, but even even now that the, the cost of finance is increasing by the week, uh, so it it doesn't make sense anymore. So our mindset is to reduce stocks. And to get as close to the four weeks policy as possible with all the stocks and all the customers. And we have more questions, but we've run out of time. But uh, there is a final closing comment, which is well done to the management team for dealing with such exceptionally challenging circumstances in an effective way. Some encouraging words for everyone. This too shall pass. So back to you, Bernard, for closing remarks. Well, I couldn't. I couldn't beat that as a closing remark. <laughs> but we are we are uh, um, very focused on getting the business steadied, improved, and making uh, at least by twenty three, twenty four, seven uh, percent in the bottom line. I think we've got a path and a structure to do it. Uh, we are also uh, blessed with having a good team, and uh, Pippa, I think, will. Uh, not fail to deliver um, increased sales, both on branded, private label, and even on contract business. So I, I think we're set for for the future. It's been a tough time. It still is tough. We still have a long way to go, but I think we're we're set for. And back to the comment: this too shall pass. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, really appreciate your time and the opportunity. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.